0: Well, we want to continue in our study of the Gospel of John this morning. I am preaching through the Gospel of John, if you are visiting with us. And this morning we find ourselves in John chapter 5 and verses 1 through 9. So if you would, I will have you turn in your Bibles there. The Gospel of John chapter 5 and verses 1 through 9. And this is what we read. After this, there was a feast of the Jews... And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool. In Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five-roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, and knew that he had already been there a long time he said to him do you want to be healed the sick man answered him sir i have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up and while i am going another steps down before me jesus said to him get up take up your bed and walk and at once the man was healed And he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. Well, as we saw in chapter 4, Jesus is on the move. He was going from Judea to Galilee. And most Jewish people went around Samaria in order to get to Galilee. But Jesus went right through Samaria because he had an encounter in Samaria with a woman at Jacob's well. We know who is the woman at the well. He also had an encounter with the people from Sychar in Samaria. And then, but from Samaria, Jesus goes on to go to Galilee and he comes to Cana in Galilee. And he is approached there by a man from Capernaum. Capernaum is 15 miles away from Cana. And this man has a son who is very sick, and he begs Jesus to heal him. And then Jesus moves on from Cana to go to Jerusalem, and that's where we find ourselves this morning. And so our first point this morning is Jesus goes to Jerusalem. After Jesus miraculously heals the official's son, He goes to Jerusalem. Now, if you remember last Sunday, we looked at the very last section of John chapter 4, and there was an official. The word literally means a royal official. He probably had some government position within the government of Herod Antipas. And he has a son who is sick. The Bible says he is at the point of death. So this man has come from Capernaum comes 15 miles to come to Cana to beg Jesus to heal his son. And Jesus says to the man, go, your son will live. And the man goes back to Capernaum and his son is healed and he finds out that the exact hour when his son was healed was when Jesus said those words. The exact time when Jesus said those words, go, your son will live. And that brings us to chapter 5 and verse 1, which says, after this. So after that scene, after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, we don't know which feast John is referring to here. He doesn't name the feast. There's been a lot of speculation as to what feast this may be. But we really don't know. Some have tried to narrow it down, saying that it may be or could possibly be one of the pilgrim feasts that were celebrated in Jerusalem, perhaps the Passover or the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Pentecost, but we don't know which one of them it may have been. But what is important for us this morning is the primary reason Jesus goes up to Jerusalem is not for the feast, but because he has another divine appointment And if you have been with us, this is the fourth divine appointment that Jesus has in three chapters in the Gospel of John. First, he has a divine appointment with a man named Nicodemus in chapter 3. Nicodemus is a Pharisee, a ruler of the Jews. Then in chapter 4, he has a divine appointment with the woman at the well. Then in chapter 4, he has a divine appointment with this royal official whose son was sick. And today... In chapter 5, he has another divine appointment with a man who is an invalid, a man who was severely crippled. Now, Jesus specifically goes to a pool called Bethesda. In verses 2 and 3, it says, Now, there was in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five-roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. So in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, now the sheep gate was a place where the pilgrims who would come up to Jerusalem would take their sacrificial lambs and they would go through this gate, they would go to the temple courts where they would make their sacrifices or give their sacrifices to the priests to have them slaughtered and sacrificed and so thus this gate came to be known as the sheep gate and at the sheep gate there was a pool there was a body of water and in in aramaic this place is called bethesda bethesda means house of mercy So there was this place, this house of mercy, which has five roofed colonnades. It had five columns, five pillars, which was covered with a roof over this place and the pool, which would give some semblance of protection to the people there from the inclement weather. But around this pool... In this area lay a multitude of invalids. Now, in the New Testament, when it uses the word multitude, it usually means a lot of people. A lot of people. So the scene is, there is a lot of invalids around this pool. The blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. And with your God-given imagination, I want you to try to have this picture in your mind as we go through this text this morning. Jesus is coming to a place where there is great suffering. It is a tragic scene. From a human standpoint, it is a heartbreaking scene. There is a multitude a multitude of blind, lame, and paralyzed people, and Jesus walks in to the midst of this. Now, this morning, if you are using the English Standard Version of the Bible, or if you are using the New International Version of the Bible, or if you are using the New American Standard Bible, you will notice there is no verse 4. Did you notice that? There is no verse 4. We just go from verse 3 to verse 5. And why is that? If you look, if you are using the ESV, the English Standard Version, if you go to the bottom of the page and you look at your footnote there, it says, Some manuscripts, insert holy or in part, waiting for the moving of the water, For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred the water. Whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was healed of whatever disease he had. Some English Bibles have that as verse 4, but quite a few of very reliable English translations do not have that verse in it. And I'm preaching from the ESV this morning. It doesn't have it in there. Why is that? The reason is because the oldest and most reliable manuscripts that we have available to us today do not have verse 4 in it. Now, if you are if someone is a Bible scholar, especially a technical Bible scholar that works with old manuscripts, you want to use the manuscripts that are the oldest and closest to what would have been the original manuscripts. So if you are a technical biblical expert, the older the better. Because it's the closest. We want to get as close to the original as we possibly can. And the oldest... And most reliable manuscripts don't have verse 4 in it. So I'm just going to give you my viewpoint. My particular viewpoint in reading on this is that verse 4 is correctly omitted. It shouldn't be in that. It's not part, I don't believe, of God's inspired inerrant word. However, I want to say this. Because verse 4 is in some, it is a good commentary for us. So some have asked, how did verse 4 get in there? If it wasn't in there in the originals, how did it get in there? And most people believe that there was probably a copyist, because for hundreds of years, when you wanted another copy of the Bible, a person, usually a monk in a monastery, had to copy by hand every single word of the Bible in order for the new copy to be produced and it appears that someone along the line inserted verse 4 as a way of helping us to understand verse 7. And so you can kind of understand why they did it even if it's not part of the original. But it is a good commentary like I use commentaries every week in studying the Bible and so what some think is verse 4 is a good commentary. It appears at this time, there was a superstition, a legend, around this place that many believed, especially those who were blind and lame and paralyzed, that from time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and he would stir up the waters and whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was healed. So first one in, when the waters were stirred, got healed. Now, was there an actual stirring of the water? Probably there was. Most Bible scholars believe that underneath this pool was probably an artesian well, a mineral springs, a hot springs, just like you would find today. And even down to today, there are people that believe that mineral springs or hot springs still have some kind of therapeutic healing remedy they do I mean we think of the famous hot springs in Tiberias in in Israel or the hot springs of Arkansas people go there they think that the being in those springs will help them so the legend was or the belief at this time was that an angel would come down and stir up the water and it would be stirred from time to time there would be this warm Swelling of the water. But here's the hard part. It appears it was every man for himself. First man in, first woman in, gets the healing and everybody left was, else was left out. And it says in the Bible, there were a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. This is a hard scene. It is a hopeless scene. It is a helpless seed. You have a multitude of suffering people who believed that an angel would occasionally come down and stir the water, and the first one who got in there, or if you were lucky enough to have someone help you in, you got healed, but everybody else was left out. And that brings us to our second point this morning, and that is long term suffering. At the pool called Bethesda, there was a man who had been an invalid for 38 years. And that's what it says in verse 5. One man was there. This one man becomes the focus of this passage. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. Now we would all admit this morning 38 years is a long time. That is a long time to suffer. So, for all these years, whatever this man's particular situation was, and the Bible says he was an invalid, he had suffered for this for a long, long time. And in verse 6, it says, when Jesus saw him lying there, notice he's lying there, he's not standing, he's not sitting, he probably probably did not have the capability to stand or to sit. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? Jesus comes upon this one man and he has great compassion on him. Now, why did Jesus choose this one man out of all those people? And the answer is, I don't know. God in his sovereignty, in his wisdom, in his perfectness and holiness chooses to display his glory and compassion through this particular man. It does say that Jesus knew he had already been there a long time. This was a long-suffering human being. And so, in verse 7, the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. You can almost read in this passage the sadness of this man, the helplessness of this man. You ask me, he says to Jesus, you ask me if I want to be healed? Sir, I don't have anyone to help me get into the pool. When the water's stirred up, and while I'm going, another steps down before me. So time after time after time, year after year after year, the water was stirred up, and he went to get in, but he was too late. And he missed, and he missed, and he missed. Again, I say to you, this is an absolutely helpless, hopeless human being that Jesus is talking to. And then we have verses 8 and 9. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and took up his bed and walked. Jesus says, get up, Take up your bed. Now, most likely the bed that he was lying on was a thin mattress, the kind that you would roll up. Maybe the kind that you would take camping with you and stuff in a backpack. But you would take it and roll it out. And this is the kind of mat, this man most likely was lying on, a thin mattress material. And again, Jesus has to tell him to get up And take up your bed. So that means he was lying down even as we saw before. So this wasn't an invalid who could sit up. This wasn't one who could stand. This was one who was so crippled that he was lying on the ground. And he says, get up. Take up your bed and walk. And then it says at once. And the term at once there is very important to this passage. It means instantaneously and immediately. Instantaneously and immediately the man was healed and he took up his bed and he walked. And I don't know that there are words in the English language to describe the incredible Nature of this healing and the incredible thrill that must have filled this man. I want you to think of with me what's happening here. This man is an invalid completely crippled, lying down for 38 years. Jesus says, get up, take up your bed and walk and instantaneously and immediately he is healed. He goes from being a severe invalid to a completely healthy man in one moment of time. Immediately and instantaneously he is healed. He takes up his bed and he walks away. Suddenly, Strength fills his entire body. Vitality fills his entire body. And he goes from being an invalid to a healthy man. What an amazing miracle. An amazing miracle. Even today, let's say that there is someone who is severely incapacitated. Maybe they have been from birth or maybe they were in an accident. And so they go to get a surgery. And let's say that the surgery is successful, even after the surgery. They have months, excuse me, weeks, if not months of rest and recovery. Then they have physical therapy. Then they have rehabilitation, or all of it's part of their rehabilitation. And it's a long period of time. Even today, with all of the modern medicine that we have, But not here. The severely crippled man, an invalid for 38 years, is immediately and instantaneously healed. And he becomes a healthy man. And all these people, all these people are watching. And the last sentence of verse 9 says, Now that day was the Sabbath. And that prepares us for next Sunday morning. Because Jesus healing on the Sabbath is going to bring him into direct confrontation with the Jews who were there. And next week we are going to see the beauty and the compassion of Jesus contrasted with the legalism And the man made rules of the Jews who were there. But that is next Sunday. As we close, this morning, I want us to see three beautiful character traits of our Savior that shine forth in this passage. I want us to see three gloriously beautiful character traits of your Savior and my Savior that shine forth like a great light out of this passage of Scripture. First, once again, we see Jesus' omniscience on display. He knows everything about this man before he ever meets him. Now, if you've been with us in this series And I say, he knew everything about this man before he meets him. You may say, Pastor Tim, you are repeating yourself from sermon to sermon, and I am. Because this is the fourth time I've said that. Because when Jesus met Nicodemus, he knew everything about him before he met him. When Jesus met the woman at the well, he knew everything about her before he met her. When Jesus met the royal official who his son was sick, he knew everything about the man, everything about the circumstance before they ever met, and he knows everything about this invalid before they ever meet. And though I have now covered this four times, I want to come this time from a slightly different angle. I want you to know that our all-knowing Savior, that's what omniscience means, he knows everything about everybody, everywhere. His omniscience means that when you are in pain and you are suffering and you are heartbroken and you are hurting, he knows everything, everything about it, everything about you. Have you ever been in a situation where you're really hurting? You're really hurting. And maybe you go to a small group Bible study and you share this with the group. And they pray for you and they love you. And maybe you have a friend or two that you share this with and they pray for you and they love you. But when you walk away, you have this nagging thought. Nobody knows what I'm really going through. I can share it with them and they can say, oh, we feel for you." Nobody knows what you're really going through. Jesus does. He does. There is one who knows what you're really going through. He knows everything about your heartbreak, about your pain, about your suffering. And that leads to the second beautiful character trait of our Savior in this passage. Jesus displays a deep and profound compassion for the long-term suffering of this man. He comes upon this man and he has compassion and mercy for him because he had been suffering for such a long period of time. There are at least nine times in the Gospels where it says Jesus was moved with compassion. Praise God for that. When you hurt, when you are heartbroken, when you suffer, your Savior is moved with compassion for you. Isn't it amazing that the heart of God moves with compassion toward the brokenhearted and the hurting? What a glorious trait of our God. He is not some emotionless, aloof God off somewhere. He cares deeply, intimately, specifically about you. He does. Maybe you're suffering right now. Maybe it's physical. Maybe you're in a long-term hurting marriage. Maybe it's mental. Maybe with all that we're going through, some of you are struggling with depression. Maybe you're struggling with unfounded fears, and you don't know what to do with them. You're just afraid. You know it's irrational, but you're afraid anyway. Maybe you have panic attacks. I've known many people who suffer with panic attacks. I want you to know the heart of your Savior is moved with compassion because of what you are going through. It's not on the screen, but in James chapter 5 and verse 11, at the very end of the verse, it says this, the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. I love that. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Well, the third beautiful character trait of our Savior that shines forth in this passage, Jesus' power to heal and restore is immediate and complete. Jesus' power to heal and restore is immediate and complete. Our Savior is all-powerful and can do whatever he chooses to do within the realm of his holiness and perfect wisdom. As I shared with you last Sunday morning, Jesus can heal whenever and however he chooses to do so because he is all-powerful. He has the power to overcome anything, anything in this universe. Not just in your life, but in the universe. And you need to know that. That your Savior, the one you serve, the one you pray to, the one you love, is all-powerful. So when you are alone with God, and let me just pause here to say this. Every single one of us Myself at the top of the list. Every one of us needs to have time alone with God. On a regular basis. Absolutely critical to your Christian life and growth. You need time where you are all alone. I'm thankful for small groups. Thankful for friends. But there are times it needs to be just you and God. I love, I've always loved Mark one thirty-five, where it says, Early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus went off to a lonely place and prayed. I love that. Early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus goes off to a lonely place to be all alone with the Father. And when you meet with Jesus, And you're all alone. I want you to remember the reality of who you are meeting with. You are meeting with the one who knows everything about you. You are meeting with the one who is filled with compassion and mercy. His compassion is moved by your hurts and your suffering. The one you are meeting with is all powerful. There is nothing going on in your life that is too hard for Jesus. So when you meet with Him, trust Him, love Him, and believe in Him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You that we serve a Savior, that we intimately know a Savior who knows all things about us, that we intimately know and serve a Savior who is moved with compassion for our hurts and pain. Thank you that we know and serve a Savior who is all-powerful. Oh, we thank you for this man who had suffered for 38 years, as was instantaneously and immediately healed. Thank you for the way that encourages our hearts, our souls, our minds. Thank you. Thank you for our beautiful Savior in whose name we always pray. Amen.